First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Woody Harrelson catches some heat over his SNL monologue, but is there more to the man than meets the eye? And the world marks the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine-Russia war with a propaganda jubilee. You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. I want to start today with a follow-up from a story last week about that forewoman of the Georgia special grand jury that investigated potential interference into the 2020 election by Team Trump here in Georgia. As you guys know by now, definitely, this four woman did a round of interviews last week where she acted like the most unstable girl, like on everybody's college campus, while at the same time making it look like the whole Georgia special grand jury was just a biased political exercise, which it looked that way anyway. I mean, the district attorney working on this thing, Fannie Willis, was condemned at one point by a judge for hosting a fundraiser for a Democrat who was running against a Trump-endorsed Republican while she was investigating Trump in this special grand jury, which is supposed to be a non-biased special grand jury. So the bias has already been there, but nevertheless, all these pundits and legal experts are now talking about how any case against Trump could be ruined now because of this forewoman. So here's what I think is going on here. The networks that aired these interviews were anti-Trump Democrat-leaning networks, CNN, MSNBC. It wasn't like Tucker Carlson rolled this chick out and brought her into our lives. It was the networks who've been calling Trump a criminal and suggesting that his phone call with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is evidence of a crime. They're, They're the ones who called attention to this woman, put her on TV, the same networks who are now blaming her for potentially sabotaging any case against Trump are the ones that made this an issue to begin with. So it's like, why would they do this? My guess is they're setting her up as a scapegoat so that when no criminal charges are brought against Trump, they can blame her, say she's the reason why, instead of having to tell their audience the truth, which is that Trump didn't actually break any laws during his phone call with Secretary of State from Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, despite what the media has led them to believe for the past couple of years, nor did Trump attempt to pressure or, or coerce Raffi into doing anything, let alone into illegally changing the results of the 2020 election in Georgia. And these are things that are obvious to anyone who has listened to more than just the one five-second clip, five seconds or so, that the media has been playing over and over from that phone call. I mean, this was a 62-minute phone call, and they have propagandized people into believing that it is the most obvious evidence that Trump committed a crime yet, and they've done so by playing five seconds from 62 minutes for two straight years. Nothing to see in that other 61.55. Not only that, most people probably assume that the call was just between Trump and Raffensperger. It wasn't. There was at least six people on the call. And one thing that was not on the call was evidence of any crime, which is crazy because the whole Georgia special grand jury was convened because of this phone call, a call that does not support the claims being made against Trump, 
but does in fact invalidate their entire narrative about attempted coercion and interfering and trying to change the results. So that's why no charges are going to be brought against Trump, because the phone calls the evidence and it's evidence of nothing. And the media knows this. They've known it all along. But they're not going to tell their audiences any of it. They're just going to continue lying to them. What they will tell them instead is they'll tell them that Trump isn't being charged, not because he's not guilty, because he's definitely guilty. They all know that. They all heard the five-second clip. They'll tell them the reason he's not being charged is because that crazy forewoman ran her mouth and tainted the case. It's all her fault that Trump got away with it again. Damn you, crazy forewoman. They'll put all the blame on her. I mean, that's where this is going, in my opinion. That's what they're setting up, I think. So here's what I did. For the DMBXR, for those who are interested, I'm going to put... In there, that's the subscriber-only portion of the show, patreon.com slash propaganda report. I listened to that whole phone call, again, a couple of times, actually, and I cut a whole bunch of clips of every time Trump talks about the numbers, the, the votes and whatever else, and what he thinks was illegal and the evidence that they have collected that they would like to be presented. And I edited it down to about 15 minutes, which was way too long, so I cut that in half to about eight minutes of Trump repeatedly making his case during that phone call so that you can hear the broader context a little bit if you'd like to. I'm just going to put that eight minutes in the DMBXR. I'll do a quick little setup and I'm just going to play it like a montage, basically. So check that out if you like. What about an indictment for Trump? Is, is that going to happen? I think the district attorney, Fannie Willis, probably will recommend indicting him. And here's why. She was elected as Fulton County District Attorney in large part because she is anti-Trump and she's up for re-election next year. So if she does recommend an indictment, she can use that as a campaign talking point. If she doesn't, people might be mad at her and not vote for her. However, if she decides not to recommend it because it's frivolous, because there's no evidence, there's no probable cause there, then she can also just blame it on the crazy forewoman. Everybody pile on blaming the obviously unstable girl. I'm sure that's really going to do wonders for her mental health. I know some people might think she's an actress. If she is, she needs to stop doing these gigs and go to Hollywood because she'll make a lot more money because she's a fantastic one. I think she's just somebody that they, they, could, they recognized, was eager to be on TV, and they knew they could exploit her. So if she does recommend an indictment, what happens next is the evidence that the special grand jury put together is given to a regular grand jury whose job is to then evaluate that evidence, including the phone call, the entire phone call, not just that one little clip, to determine if there's probable cause there that Trump committed a crime. If they determine that there is enough evidence for this, then they will issue an indictment and the case will go to an actual trial. It is worth noting that there is no defense presented to the grand jury. They simply look at the evidence to see if it rises to probable cause, then it will go and then a defense can be presented at trial, which most definitely the phone call evidence, air quotes, is not going to rise to any level of probable cause. So another thing going on with this, which I I told Cam that this would happen last week on the show, is that this narrative that this girl is actually a Trump plant who was sent in there to sabotage the special grand jury on his behalf. That that narrative has emerged, which is really not far-fetched. However, the fact that it was these anti-Trump networks that put the spotlight on her kind of undermines that argument, in my opinion. 
But that did not stop the theory from spreading and continuing to spread on social media. And it also did not stop it from being promoted on SNL during their cold opening over the weekend. Here it is. She's a head juror. Can you believe that? They elected her. They'll elect anyone. I started that. So come on, spill the tea. Come on. Nope. You just want me to ruin the curse. But I guess I can say, um, we've been saying your name. <laughs> can you believe that? They almost had me, and then this little horse girl comes in and saves the day. Thank you, Emily. The little horse girl comes in and saves the day. Cam did say that she looked like a girl who grew up riding horses, so he nailed that one before SNL did. That guy does a pretty good Trump impersonation there. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Okay, so this Ukraine-Russia one-year anniversary has been like a week-long celebration and what feels like a propaganda jubilee that these people have been putting on because they've had a lot of whoppers they've been rolling out. Those watching might notice, in fact, the colorful, strange image behind me on screen today. Here, I'll give you a better look at it. So that is, uh, I got that from an art, one of those new AI art generators. I can't remember which, Midjourney, I think it was. I asked it to give me an image of a Ukrainian-Russian-themed propaganda jubilee. And that's what it spat out. Kind of crazy looking. I'll, I'll tweet it out later on from my Twitter account at Freedom Act Radio if y'all want to check it out. With this one-year anniversary of the first war of the Great Reset came many interesting interviews, reports, panel discussions. We had everyone from Zelensky, obviously, to Biden, to Jim Clapper, to throwbacks like Condoleezza Rice, all showing up to participate in this highly coordinated, grand global display of war propaganda. And I want to share some of it with you, starting with an interview that Biden did with ABC News's David Muir, Muir. You might recall that last week I played a clip from a Chatham House discussion where they gave us a number of how much aid Ukraine had gotten from us and overall, which had been a surprisingly hard number to pin down. They said Ukraine had gotten 140 billion and 70 or half of it had come from us, which seemed a bit low to me. Well, David Muir gives us a different number. He contradicts the great Chatham House. Here's the clip. 
You announced another $2.5 billion in aid to Ukraine today, $113 billion now. Just another $2.5 billion. No big deal. $113 billion. Now, I'm not sure if he is talking about total aid or just the amount of aid the U.S. has spent. I think probably he's talking about the amount of aid the U.S. has spent. But can we not get some accounting on these numbers when we're sending billions of dollars worth of stuff? Can we get somebody working on the books here so that we know what we're spending, where it's going, who's using it, which Nazis from the Azov Battalion are getting what? They, they try and make us think that they know exactly where everything is going and, and uh, whose hands the weapons are ending up in when they can't even give us a straight answer on how much we spent. Okay, next clip. Biden responds to what is a very reasonable question in a very unreasonable, perhaps even evil way. Here's the clip. We know the vast majority of Americans support Ukraine, but there are now many who are asking, how long can we spend like this? Well, first of all, I'm not sure how many are asking. I know the mega crowd is. The, the right-wing Republicans are, you know, talking about we can't do this. Very interesting answer from President Biden there. If you question the wisdom of endlessly funding a foreign war and arming the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, our president will brand you a mega right-wing Trumper, a MAGA, I believe he was referring to, but it doesn't matter if you like Trump or not, or if you ever voted for him, if you question this, you're going to get branded that by our president. And we know how Biden feels about the mega crowd he's referring to here to him. They're domestic terrorists, a domestic terror threat anyway. They're the greatest threat, in fact, that our democracy is currently facing. He's made that abundantly clear in a number of speeches. So in other words, you either support arming the Azov neo-Nazis or you're considered by our president to be a domestic terror threat. What an extraordinary thing. You're either with the Nazis or you're against us seems to be what he's saying here. I should clarify. Not all Ukrainians are Nazis. Nobody is saying that. Not everyone fighting in the war on the side of Ukraine is a Nazi either. But the fact is that the news stories on the battles going on almost always feature the Azov Battalion. Sometimes even talk about them heroically, quite often even, really. What an odd circumstance we find ourselves in nearly 80 years after defeating the Nazis in World War II, where our president is aggressively demonizing those who question the wisdom of arming Nazis. And the way he's doing this, too, he knows that for many Americans, the last thing they ever want to be called or seen as, especially by their friends, is a MAGA Republican. They would go to great lengths, they'd do anything to avoid getting branded with that label, which makes them very easy to manipulate by these people, because all they have to do is say something is MAGA Republican, and these people will just take the opposite position. That, that's such an easy way to get manipulated into awful, awful things, which right now is actually why in this country there are millions of Americans who'd rather support arming neo-Nazis than be branded a MAGA Republican. I mean, that, that seems to be clear. I saw this Twitter thread that this guy put out. I don't know what his name was. Some journalist, propagandist, but he was claiming to debunk 
these claims that neo-Nazis are a major part of Ukraine's military, which is something that even CNN and the other mainstream outlets admit. But this guy was trying to debunk it anyway. And the way that he was going about doing it was quite interesting. He started off like this. He, he said, basically, yeah, the Azov Battalion, there are some that are fighting in the war on the side of Ukraine, but most of them are reformed and don't hold neo-Nazi beliefs. That was one of his, one of his first claims. Which is interesting. Is that how is that how this works when someone is reformed, when, when they're in a hate group and they reform themselves and they no longer hold the core beliefs of that hate group? Do they just continue being a member of the hate group? That that seems a little bit weird to me. Like, are there reformed members of the Ku Klux Klan who no longer believe any of the core beliefs of the Klan, who are still getting up every day and putting on that white sheet and hood. I'm reformed. I disavowed the core beliefs of the Klan. I'm no longer into that racist stuff. Still go to every meeting, though. Seems a little bit weird to me, is all. I, you know, I, I naively thought that when someone reforms themselves, they get as far away from that group as possible. But what do I know? Another way he tried to minimize the role that neo-Nazis are playing in the Ukraine military is he did some math. And according to his calculations, factoring in, of course, all those previously mentioned non-neo-Nazi neo-Nazis, he determined that the neo-Nazi presence in the Ukraine military was so small, just very tiny, that only 100 real hardcore neo-Nazis who still hold those Nazi beliefs are fighting for the Ukraine military. Just 100 of them. This guy really made this argument on Twitter. He, he without realizing it, argued that it's perfectly fine to arm Nazis just as long as we're only arming 100 of them. That's all. I mean, the, the mental acrobatics here, the rationalization, the compartmentalization that this propaganda ha has gotten people to, to do in order to justify the fact that they are supporting the arming of neo-Nazis. It, it's wild. This is true brainwashing that we're witnessing in some people here. Fortunately, it's not most people, but Man, it's really gotten a hold of some people's minds. All right, one more clip from this. Biden is asked about these F-16s we keep hearing so much about. The Chatham House discussed the same question. Every network has been discussing this question. Here is Biden's answer. Look, we're sending him what our seasoned military thinks he needs now. He needs tanks. He needs artillery. He needs air defense, including another HIMARS. There's things he needs now that we're sending him to put him in a position to be able to make gains this spring and this summer going into the fall. You don't think he needs F-16s now? No, he doesn't need F-16s now. Is that a never? Look, first of all, the idea that we know exactly what's going to be needed a year or two, three from now, but there is no basis upon which... There is a rationale, according to our military now, to provide F-16s. But you're not ruling it out. I am ruling it out for now. For now. Okay, so of course we're going to send them F-16s. They wouldn't be having this much back and forth about it, this much deliberation, if we weren't going to send them F-16s eventually. Here's former CIA head and prolific liar James Clapper taking a little bit of a different position than Biden took on that very same question. Biden saying tonight that Ukraine doesn't need F-16s right now, but Zelensky, even today, was calling again on the West to provide them. Who's right? 
Well, I think uh, actually President Zelensky is, to be honest. I, I think the, the administration is losing an opportunity here to exert leverage by simply announcing that we're going to enter Ukrainian pilots into training and their maintainers to support the maintenance requirements of F-16 and then reserve judgment on when and where to deploy them later. The problem is, as these weapon systems get more complex, they require more lead time to train the Ukrainians, set up the, the supply and logistics. So I think it would be, uh, it would be show support for the Ukrainians and convey a message to the Russians if we simply announced that we we're going to start a training program for the Ukrainians on the F-16. Because ultimately, maybe they don't need it today, but they're going to at some point uh, because that's, you know, air defense is a requirement for the Ukrainians and the F-16 is a capable air to ground attacker. So I would respectfully suggest the administration consider announcing that and then reserve judgment on the actual deployment for later. A couple of, of things there. He said, if we did that, it would show support for Ukraine. Have we not already showed enough support for Ukraine? $119 billion. And towards the end of that, Clapper said, I would respectfully suggest to the administration. He's not the only former head of an intel agency that went around saying this exact message and also emphasizing, I understand what they're saying, but I would respectfully suggest this. And Biden even respectfully had that little debate with David Muir uh, about it. Again, yes, we're sending weapons, but notice what that was. That was a respectful national conversation, a back and forth debate about whether or not we should send those bigger and badder weapons to Ukraine. It's okay to have that argument. You know what argument it's not okay to have? The one that Muir asked Biden about right before he asked him about the F-16s, which was the question about these people in America who are questioning, should we continue sending this aid, which Biden immediately shut down and demonized and made it perfectly clear, as have many others in the mainstream media, that that is not an acceptable conversation that we will have. We are not allowed to talk about that. We, we can talk about the, the conversation, the argument can be about this, but it cannot be uh, about that. Notice how they're controlling or attempting to control the Overton window here. That's what this is. I mean, that was a very strategic maneuver that Muir and Biden did with that. Here's this question. Shut that down. No, no, no. This question, yes, 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 we can talk about this respectfully. Well, I got news for them. They ain't going to stop us from questioning what they're doing. Because too many people are awake to this, and we will continue doing it. I don't give a rat's ass the slurs, the demonization, and the names that they fling. Because they are literally putting weapons in the hands of open neo-Nazis. And they don't want us to talk about it. Of course they don't want us to talk about it. Okay, before we get to the last story that we're going to talk about today, which is going to be Woody Harrelson's SNL monologue, as well as some interesting things that most people don't know about Woody Harrelson, uh, I would like to remind you all to check out the DMBXR if you want to hear that eight-minute condensed phone call Trump had with Raffensperger, the, the montage of Trump talking about the numbers to give broader context there. You can get that at patreon.com slash 
propaganda report. What you get along with the subscriber-only XR content is you get this show, The Drive Time News Blast, combined with the XR into your own private RSS feed from Patreon. With the ads removed, I take the ads out of the DMB for Patreon subscribers. So check that out, patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe there today. Again, you can find me at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter. Propagandafight.com is the website. Okay, so you've probably heard at this point about Woody Harrelson's SNL monologue where towards the end of it, he calls out Big Pharma and the whole lockdown. But there's actually some interesting things about him that most people don't know, I think. Some, some strange things. And I want to tell you about them. If you didn't see the monologue, here's the relevant portion of it. The setup is it's something like he last time he hosted... SNL, when he was in New York, he was in Central Park leaning up against a a tree, getting high, and he never imagined the next three years would be like a movie, which he goes on. So the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes, and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. Anyway, it's about that time. That's it. it, it it's short and sweet. And, and honestly, I'm a huge Woody Harrelson fan. I, I, I thought his monologue was bad overall. I don't, he might have been high, but I, I did like that he did that. I, I, I like that he did that, and unfortunately, the, the show overall was, was pretty bad as well. But he did take that jab there. I don't know if he went off script or not. I, I have no idea. But he has talked like this before. This isn't the, the first time that he has, has spoke like that. Here he is talking on, I think this is Bill Maher's podcast. He's got no shoes on there, as you can see about the lockdown and some of this other stuff. Is the CDC promoting that we have to do all of these things, right? I just, I don't like profiteering in war, you know? Right. Think of the billions of dollars that have gone to Big Pharma. But I'm, I was getting back to my original point. The last people I would trust with my health is Big Pharma and Big Government. He's because so- neither one of those strike me as caring entities. Spoken you know? as the perfect redneck hippie. He's so stoned right here. It, it's pretty funny. Really? <laughs> if that message doesn't... I mean, the, they're no, all about it, profit. Exactly. They're all about profit. And both sides and know that. it's obscene the profit they've made. I think they've done a lot of studies about vitamin D and how important it was when the people who had low levels, they were much more um, vulnerable to COVID. Why not yeah. tell people that? Can't yeah. you make money selling vitamin D? Is it that kind of, what's the well, worst that could but, happen? But that's just it, man. There was only one thing, you know, the, the ivermectin got made into a, you know, horse tranquilizer, uh, a horse, whatever it is. Which it is, but warm, warm, also used warm, by humans. Uh, it's used by millions and millions, millions of humans. Uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine got uh, made ridiculous. Um and there was only one thing that could work, and that's the vaccine, right? And so ultimately, because of that, billions of dollars was made. Okay, so yeah, he's right there. I think Bill Maher is a little bit of a, a plant. I think he says some of the right things to try and win back credibility that he can then transfer onto CNN, where he, where he is now. But also, Harrelson, 
actually, uh, apparently is a, or at least he identifies as uh, an anarchist. Uh, he wrote an article in a British newspaper, The Guardian is what it is, uh, condemning George Bush's preparation for a U.S. invasion into Iraq. He called it racist and an imperialistic war. He also stated at one time that he was against the U.S. U.S.'s previous wars in Iraq and President Bill Clinton's sanctions against Iraq. And, and in 2013, he condemned Barack Obama's for Barack Obama for failing to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, uh, comparing him, him negatively to uh, Richard Nixon. So, so he has this type of sentiment in his background, calls himself an, an anarchist, which I'm glad to hear that because I've always liked Woody Harrelson. White Men Can't Jump is one of my favorite movies of all time. And a couple of other interesting facts uh, about him. Before becoming an actor, he was a theology student. He even got a Presbyterian scholarship and attended Hanover College in Indiana on that scholarship, which is the same college that another well-known public figure attended, Mike Pence. They knew each other. Harrelson told Jimmy Kimmel a few years ago that in college he actually liked Mike Pence and, and he thought that he was a, a really good guy that was committed to his faith, but they kind of went different ways. And his dad is a guy named Charles Void Harrelson, who was an American hitman and an organized crime figure who was convicted of assassinating federal judge John H. Wood Jr., which was the first federal judge to be assassinated in the 20th century. His dad was arrested when calls were made to the police because his dad was firing a gun at an imaginary FBI agent while he was high on drugs. It's an interesting way to get caught. But Harrelson didn't really know his dad growing up. His dad wasn't around a lot. But he apparently, once he got older, would go visit him in prison and talk to him a lot. Which is interesting because I watched SNL sketches after learning about this. And one of the sketches was Woody Harrelson in prison. And a girl was coming to visit him and they were having a, a conversation. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that was his idea. Because he was thinking about him going to visit his dad. While his dad was still alive. Check this out about his dad. So when his dad was arrested, it was, there, he was in a standoff. And it was a six-hour standoff in which he was apparently high on cocaine. And during the standoff, he threatened to kill himself, stating that he had killed both Judge Wood as well as President John F. Kennedy Jr. And in a TV interview after his arrest... His dad said that at the time I said I had killed the judge, I, I said I had killed Kennedy, which might give you an idea to the state of mind that I was in at the time. He said it was an effort in the standoff to elongate his life, so he didn't necessarily walk it back, but he, he kind of threw some, threw some shade on his own comments. Then there was this guy named Joseph Chargra, who is the drug trafficker who, who hired Woody Harrelson's dad to kill the judge. This guy actually testified against Harrelson, at trial, and he said that Harrelson claimed to have shot Kennedy to him as well, and that he drew many maps as to where he was hiding during the assassination. And this guy, Chagra, that's his name, said that he didn't believe Harrelson's claim at the time, and the AP reported that the FBI, they discounted any involvement he might have had in Kennedy's assassination, but there's a little bit more to this here. His dad was believed to be 
the youngest and says tallest of what's called the three tramps. Lewis Gibson, who is a well-known forensic artist, matched photographs of Harrelson to photographs of that youngest looking member, the tallest member of those three tramps. And the three tramps, who they are, they're three men who were photographed by several Dallas area newspapers under police escort. The three kids were under police escort near the Texas School Book Depository shortly after the assassination of Kennedy. And since the mid-60s, there's been various allegations made about the identities of the men and their involvement in a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. Jim Marsh. Jim Marsh is great. You should listen to some of his talks or read some of his books. He was a journalist back, back in Texas at the time that it happened. He's written a lot, spoken a lot on the J- – I think he was the guy who actually helped write the movie JFK, the one with Kevin Costner. Marsh said in, in one of his books that Harrelson was involved with criminals connected to intelligence agencies in the military, and he suggested that it, he was connected to Jack Ruby through this guy named Russell Douglas Matthews, a third party who had links to organized crime, who was known both to Harrelson and Ruby. And in 1982, Harrelson told a Dallas TV station, do you believe that Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy alone without any aid from a rogue agency of the U.S. government, or at least a portion of that agency? I believe you're very naive if you do, he said. I should clarify, I realize that I've been saying Harrelson. I'm talking about Woody Harrelson's father right now. Woody Harrelson would have been pretty young in 1982, I think. How old is he? 60-something? I don't know. I'm talking about his dad right now. So, who knows? Maybe Woody Harrelson's dad killed Kennedy. And his mom, strangely enough, her name is Diana Lou Oswald. And with that, I'll leave you with this clip from White Men Can't Jump. Well, check this out. The last words of Lee Harvey Oswald. It wasn't me. It was the CIA. Uh. No, get it? The, yeah, 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 then, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got it. I got it. Uh, honey, honey, honey. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.